0: What's up everyone, this is Josh Vigren and you're listening to Between Movements. Yeah. Hello and welcome to another episode of Between Movements today i'll be talking with adam perez van vliet a los angeles-based musician with a broad range of musical interests and experience he has spent over five years as a senior department sales manager and education coordinator at sam ash he plays gigs throughout southern california in a variety of genres including jazz pop rock latin as well as broadway style musicals he is starting up his own cover band and works as an arranger and sound engineer. I know him personally from my time as an undergrad at Cal State Long Beach in the Cole Conservatory, and I'm glad to have him on the program. Okay, so being a senior department sales manager and education coordinator at Sam Ash, Mm -hmm. did that change the way you look at music at all?
1: Yeah, not necessarily those two positions, But just my time there, I didn't even really think about that, but yeah, no, it completely transformed like my mindset to like music. Really? Because I was, uh, college, oh, I feel like my time at Long Beach State anyway, kind of like, I don't know, it kind of creates like an inner arrogance in everybody. Like you get so used to what a music major is like and that that type of competition Mm -hmm. to where you think, you start to look down on any kind of musician that doesn't read music Mm -hmm. or doesn't isn't classically trained or jazz trained or something like that and you start to like kind of forget that there's such thing as a musician without being like a technical musician like yourself you know right so when i first started working there i was actually very surprised at some of the customers we would get in like we get some guys that were amazing we get i I met like a lot of like semi-famous or even famous people within the music world that would come in and just casually start jamming and you could tell they just had like amazing musicianship Came from a completely different background, didn't go to school for it, but it was just like, wow, like, these guys would be, like, great. Like, if they're playing this, like, just, they're just objectively just great. Like, you could feel the soul in they're playing and stuff, and you're like, wow, like, this is stuff that they don't really teach you in school. Right. Like, they didn't have to go to school for this, so it's, it definitely opened my eyes, but back to your question, it completely changed my mindset as far as I completely dropped all hopes of being, like, a performer mm-hmm. full-time or even an educator. Like I really? still did the education thing, but I don't know if it was necessarily my time there because I started working there just a couple of months before I walked, before I got my diploma. Okay. I got my degree technically in performance, even though I it was sort of ed two education. Right. I was, I think, one course away from actually having an official education title. I think I didn't take like guitar methods or like vocal methods or something like that, but every other education course I took. So I consider myself both and I tell people I'm both because I pretty much am. I took... Credential courses, two credential courses as an undergrad, so... Yeah, no, I kind of abandoned all of that, and that's when I started... That's when I was pretty much introduced into the electronic, not electronic Mm. music, but like the the audio engineering world, the live sound, just from working there. I never even went to that department because I was like... I was in like the wind instrument department because that was my forte, but every Mm -hmm. once in a while, because I was one of the only Spanish speakers in the store, I'd get called over there and I'd have to like do translating, and I couldn't even... I couldn't even explain that stuff in English. So, learning how to do it it in Spanish was difficult, but it kind of forced me to have to, like, research certain things just to be able to make more sales for myself since it's a commission-based job. All the terminologies and everything. No, it was completely, like, Chinese to me. Even in English, I would read it, and I'm like, dude, I don't know what that means. Right. So, I I just kept picking the brains of all the audio Mm -hmm. guys. And eventually, like, it started getting interesting to me. When I... Bought my first interface, microphone and all that, and just started recording. Like I I I just started loving it. Like I fell in love with it. It wasn't until two years ago that I really started getting serious about recording. When I got logic, got a new computer. It became a thing. Like all of a sudden it just became my new love and I completely Mm. I don't want to say abandoned, but I finally felt like I had like a musical calling again, like a focus, because before that I was like, Yeah, I'm a musician, I'm trained in it, but I really don't know what I want to do or what I like in it anymore. Like, I like performing. Sure, I kind of like teaching sometimes, but I was kind of lost. So I'm definitely grateful for the experience because I don't think I would have been introduced. To, I mean, maybe maybe sometime down the line I would have started dabbling with recording, but Sam Ash is what really, really got me interested in it.
0: When you say you kind of gave up the idea of being a performer, you didn't stop performing because you you're still in bands, you still do cover bands, and...
1: Yeah, Live that's not music. what I meant, but like, I mean, well, let's get one thing clear is that I was a trumpet major, obviously, in, at Long Beach State. Pretty much the second after I did my senior recital, mm-hmm. I put the trumpet in the case and never wanted to see it again, really. <laughs> I put it in the case, and I don't think I've practiced one minute at my house since my senior recital. I'll, I'll pull it out. I've pulled it out several times for gigs or for students, obviously, because mm-hmm. I teach a couple students still. And even when I was teaching at Sam Ash, I had several students and I'd have to bring it to work and all that. And at right. work, even when I didn't have my own trumpet, I'd have to demonstrate stuff, even on trombone and other stuff. But actually pulling it out at home or in my own time, never. I
0: remember you telling me something which was pretty interesting that when you pulled out your trumpet after not having practiced for a long time, you almost found it easier
1: to Yes, in the beginning, I'm talking like within like the first year of getting my or getting my degree and doing my recital and all that.
0: What's interesting though is you're not the first person who said that. I've talked to other musicians who graduated, ended up doing something different, and then months later came back and played. And they all say there just wasn't the same amount of tension. There was oh, you more know, fluidity. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Like really interesting. It shows you how much stress is put into you. Through that education journey and it's It's a mental thing really.
1: No, it's completely mental. Like I'd say within the first year of graduating is probably when I was playing at my best. Mm -hmm. I'd pull it out maybe like a couple times a week just for lessons. But my range was great, my tone was great, my technique. My endurance was probably the only thing that suffered because on a brass instrument especially, if you don't work the muscles out enough, it you start to get tired pretty quick, especially when playing higher stuff. But the endurance I did have Like everything was just top notch It was stellar hmm. So I thought I thought that was awesome But it makes sense Because now I'm not I don't have anything w- In the back of my mind That I'm worried about Like this recital Or oh shit I have a performance with this Or I have to do this Or damn it I have that lesson I'm not prepared for
0: Right And right. just because
1: I'm not I don't care anymore Like it's just kind of like a am playing it for fun Or for For myself Or for A different purpose Than just Oh man I need to get better At my instrument Or it's like I'm already oh I'm already done. Got my degree, great, a big weight off my shoulders, you know.
0: Yeah, for sure. One thing I want to I want to go back to is you mentioned all the people that would come into Sam Ash that didn't really know how to read music, but they were amazing, and I had that experience in a different way when I was in New York. In a different and, Sam Ash? <laughs> <laughs> no, I worked I worked at a church that was uh, mostly Jamaicans, African Americans. And I specifically remember one time we went to a different church, mostly black church, and I played a couple songs. I'd never met these guys before, never met the band at all. I just told them what key I was going to play the song in. They didn't even know the song. And I had bass, guitar, and drums along with me. These guys listened closer than any other musicians I've ever worked with in my life. It's yeah. insane. Just the love because it's all they have. That they're not going off anything else except their ears and their eyes. Yeah. So they watch you. They listen really close. That was a pretty eye opening experience for me.
1: You no, know, it's phenomenal. When I was at Sam Ash, the first store I worked at, Cerritos, we'd have jams like all the time. There would be like four four nights a week. There were like mm-hmm. jam nights, and I got to know some of the customers really well. And some of them were amazing. Some of them were like, I met this guy named Tommy. He really changed my life like a lot. He's an older cat, probably in his sixties. He used to work for he's a pianist. He used to work for Motown. Motown mm. Records in LA. Wow. In the seventies, he was in the songwriting department. So he helped co write a lot of like hit songs from Motown artists. And I mean, he might be a bad example because he did read music, but even then he didn't really use it in the context that we're talking about. Like he was just he'd just jam with everybody, he would know all the chords by ear and other guys that played with him probably didn't read music and it's just some some of the best jams i ever had were with those guys some random guys i would come in and i don't know if some of them might have read music but it just it, it didn't feel like nothing felt like it was structured like they just had amazing time amazing feel just amazing energy and like chemistry I should say like stage chemistry between all the musicians and it was just I'd never felt that in any group I played in at Long Beach State everything just felt so vertical so um, mm-hmm. I don't know by the book <laughs> yeah so by the book and just so t- uh, not tense because I mean we, we did have some good grooves and good times but just because you're thinking everything is just about oh crap I hope I don't like mess up this note or crack this note or do this and I uh, hope I apply these techniques that I learned in my last lesson here and everything just seems so worrisome and just even if it wasn't a parent. Yeah.
0: I can probably count on one hand, the number of musicians through any of my degrees that I really had like good energy with performing Mm -hmm. and from school. It's, it's weird. I, I always wondered why they don't teach both things because for me, The ability to play by ear, the ability to improvise has been so helpful to me in terms Mm -hmm. of jobs. Like, I got two church jobs that I would not have gotten because I could do both. I can sight-read and I can play by ear. And it's so weird that almost no one can do that. Almost no No, one lives in both worlds.
1: Yeah, I mean, the studio... Yeah, that's why studio cats make a lot of money, but especially, no offense or anything, but especially classical musicians, the ones that are just... Everything is just so just buy the book and everything's just about being a great reader and all that. But I feel like you need to have a balance to be successful. Mm-hmm. Well, n- well, not even, even if you err on the side of just using your ear, you're going to be more successful than the guy who errs on the side of just being a reader. Cause if you can't play different styles, you can't feel the music, you can't groove with other people without having the music in front of you, you're not really going to be super successful and just, you somehow become this unless you're like an amazing technician this is
0: what my dissertation is going to be on is about really improvisation and classical music because go. bach beethoven mozart chopin liszt they all improvised they all expected their students to improvise and if i mean if you didn't improvise you weren't considered a true musician so like chopin he would he would go up and play his pieces differently during concert even Rachmaninoff would, if you listen to recordings versus what's on the page, he's constantly changing things, changing dynamics, changing phrasing. Somehow that was lost, mostly around the 1850s, mm. and it just never came back. And I think that it killed off a main part of what classical music should be. And then all of a sudden, improvisation was relegated to the realm of jazz. Mm-hmm. I think it's unfortunate.
1: It is unfortunate. Yeah, I don't know. I don't can't think of a solution to it, but no, I agree with everything you're saying. What I was going to say is what's really funny in this kind of the non-classical or jazz trained part of my musical life, like other gigs I've been on. It's really funny what other musicians, not even just musicians, but just people in general, what their idea of a musician is. They don't know like the concept of a studio musician or anything like that. There's a lot of people that don't even consider somebody a musician if they don't either write their own music. Or, like, improvise in any way, shape, or form, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a less extreme version. But, and it's funny because I, it's more apparent when you talk to a non musician. Because every time I tell people I'm a musician, they're like, oh, so can I check out some of your music? Or can I do this? That's the first thing everybody says. They assume you, you write your own music. And mm. for me, that sucks because I don't write my own music. I want to, but it's, it's interesting how, like, that's what people don't realize that there's just a technical part of music, too like a reading what's in front of you and recording stuff on sessions or something. But it's kind of funny. It makes me think like maybe you are, not you aren't a true musician. if you can't like create, you know what I mean? I don't know.
0: Well, part of being a musician is taking something and making it your own. even if you're not writing your own songs.
1: Yeah. Putting your own emotion into it and your own. Yeah.
0: Uh, or arranging things You've done arranging stuff right? Oh
1: absolutely I've done a lot of arranging
0: Yeah so that's That's a form of composition I would say Yeah So in your definition What is What does a modern studio musician look like?
1: Modern studio musician? Mm-hmm I mean versatility Is the main word that comes to mind Like You have to be able to wear a lot of hats You got to be able to play Multiple genres And feel at least somewhat at home In all of them Obviously you have to be a good sight reader Just because Sessions The amount of time you have just doesn't allow for lollygagging and subpar rhythm reading and all that, you know?
0: I couldn't agree more about the versatility thing. So many gigs I've gotten and jobs I've gotten have been simply because I can wear different hats, play different styles of music, and Mm -hmm. adapt. Yeah. You know, like in that Jamaican church, I had to learn how to play reggae rhythms and sing at the same time or calypso rhythms and sing at the same time you know it's something i never learned in school or the opposite are the are the musicians who just try to stick to one specific thing
1: oh yeah if that's your thing i mean then go for it if it if you're happy and if it pays the bills or either or both then shit but i mean i'd prefer to be like a versatile guy i'd rather be the jack of all trades than just a guy that does one thing
0: one trick pony
1: Yeah, one trick pony. I mean, because I I know a lot of guys like that where they're great. Like they they'll do like reggae or ska or something like that, and that's all they know how to play. You put them in like a jazz group, you put them in this, and even if they try to get there, you can always kind of feel that you can hear their background and they're playing and they're phrasing, and you're like, okay, yeah, this guy he does this a little too much. So yeah, yeah. I kind of
0: get a kick out of out of hearing people say, oh, I didn't know you could do that too. (laughs) I love it. A lot of people don't know that i can play guitar and when they see it they're kind of shocked or hell yeah all right man so i gotta ask you about these this kumbia band okay how did you get involved with that
1: very very funny way i um i'm part of a group on facebook called socal musicians for paid gigs and more
0: Uh uh-huh
1: what's funny is i was actually one of the sort of one of the founding members really it's, it's run, the group is huge. It's got like 10,000 members, maybe. What? Somewhere around there. It's, it's got a lot of members and constant posts. What happened was this guy named Phil, he runs it. He's the moderator. There was a different group called, I think like SoCal gigs or something like that. SoCal music gigs. And there were, there were a lot of people that were posting like unpaid gigs or play for exposure or pay to play shit. And people were just getting tired of it and there were just constant fights like mm-hmm. arguments on the thread saying why the fuck would i go to this i'm not getting paid mm-hmm. and i remember one of them i, I got in an argument with some lady and i was saying so you're really going to expect somebody to go to three rehearsals and like four shows just for exposure or for, for no pay is what i said and then she responds with yes but exposure in some cases can be worth a lot more than money and we just like oh we had at it man like we were going like this giant thread and then a bunch of people started coming to my defense obviously because it's a musician's page and she was just like a contractor or some shit she wasn't a musician but so yeah we're arguing back and forth and then people are coming to my defense and then finally one of the guys coming to my defense was this guy named phil and he decides that night he was just like you know what man he goes this argument that you started kind of inspired me he goes i think i'm gonna start my own page and I was like the first member oh, of that page. <laughs> and now it's this <laughs> giant thing that like, not just like classically trained musicians, but yeah, there's a lot of people from Long Beach State that I see on that all the time. But there's so, also random people like in the rock world or people that in the, from the Sam Ash world that I've met. And it's really weird seeing all these words, worlds collide in this group. But back to your question, that the group is so popular that it's almost impossible to get a gig on it Unless you like fall, unless you have like notifications on your phone and you respond like immediately, because there'll be something that's if it's like a decent paying thing, like somebody's like hey, like I just need a, I need a sub for this gig tomorrow night for this uh, uh cover band, this top forty cover band. Um, I'm a drummer and something happens, uh, two hundred bucks for a three hour set or something, and then like in five minutes you'll see like twenty responses, and it's just like ah shit, okay, like I'm done, like there's no way I'm gonna get that. This one came up for a latin band and it said we need a bass player a trump or two trombones and congas or something like that some kind of random combination i was like oh shit let me try this out so i i don't even know what prompted me to actually answer the ad because i figured i was like you know what man i never get any answers on these i've I've tried it so many times i kind of almost gave up but for this one, i was like fuck it might as well yeah sorry put it on there i was like i was like i'm a bass player i'm down and then, like two minutes later, I get a response from the guy who posted, and he's like, "All right, come to the re- come to a rehearsal tomorrow. Wow, at this at Soundbite Studios in downtown LA. Um, learn these six songs or whatever." And I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh shit, okay." So I showed up, and it was basically just a ton of people that showed up, and we're all like, "Hey, did you answer the Facebook ad?"
0: <laughs> and
1: that yeah, that's how it started.
0: So it was for those who don't know, mm-hmm. cumbia music is what it's it's sort of local well much more locally Los Angeles i'd assume cuz the mexican population is No huge no there.
1: cumbia has a f- interesting history there's different types of cumbia but the original cumbia started in kind of like on the border of Colombia and Venezuela Oh i was Some totally people off. say some people say Cumb- uh, Colombia is the original country and i've read other places that Venezuela actually started the first cumbia it's based off of like three like much older styles of music from Colombia that general area, like northern South America. Hmm. But anyway, that's like traditional cumbia, and that's mostly what we play, but there's also, a few years later, Mexicans popularized a couple different styles of cumbia too. Okay. So we play both, and most bands will play both. If they're a cumbia band, there's going to be a lot of Mexican songs, a lot of Mexican repertoire in there, along with Colombian, along with Venezuelan, and those are pretty much like the three main countries that you'll hear cumbia from you also hear it in like central american countries like there's a couple guatemalan cumbias salvadoran but yeah i'd I'd say like i'd say colombia and mexico are probably the two most popular
0: and what kind of events do you play these gigs at
1: for this gig i mean just a lot of like like latin sort of based venues around la like most gigs are kind of like latin restaurants like mexican restaurants especially because they're more popular and they're usually bigger they're more accommodating and have stages in LA, places like the Conga Room, and LA Live, just a lot of Latin cl- clubs, basically.
0: Is it a decent paying gig? Like, it w- do people actually make a living off of doing this kind of stuff?
1: Yes, if they do it full time, absolutely. I'm not one of those people, but y- especially in the just the Latin American world, mm-hmm. you can make a living a lot easier than if you're playing non-Latin music. Mm. I'm just not 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 specific specific to cumbia, just any Latin like. Because the demand is so high, because we're in Los Angeles, there's so much Latin culture, Latin music, and just Latin Americans in general. A lot of venues, a lot of places to play. And even like non Latin venues have like Latin nights sometimes. Like Mm. a random club in Hollywood will have a cumbia night or a salsa night. A lot of hotels will have dance classes and stuff like that. And a lot of the nicer ones pay for live bands instead of just having tracks that's pretty sweet it is pretty sweet and we I think we had talked about this a little bit before but especially like the Mexican bands like the ones that are not Cumbia the ones that do like Banda or Norteños they they make a they make a killing some of those guys like you wouldn't believe it and this is also back to working at Sam Ash like those were like a big part of my my clientele people like that and they'd come in and they'd apply for credit cards and they'd have you'd have to put your like monthly income and all that and I would see what Mm. some of these guys would make they didn't have a day job and these guys were killing it, making really? a ton of money. A lot of them, six figures, Jeez. just playing in Latin bands. And a lot of them get paid under the table. Well, most of them probably get paid under the table. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny. I mean, this is a little bit irrelevant, but they get, a lot of them get paid in money and drugs, <laughs> <laughs> especially the Banda guys, man. The Banda guys, like they would, I had a buddy who was not Hispanic. He was white as can be. He subbed in one of those bands one time, like a Banda thing. And he says that night, like he got his cash. And it was like a lot of cash, too. It was like for a private party. And he got like 300 bucks for just like a couple hours. And then he said he was given this fat bag of Coke. And they were wow. just like, hey, here you go, man. And he's like, you want some more? And then he's just like, oh, no, I'm good, man. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, they just, <laughs> they take care of their musicians. They love their music. They value it more, I'd say.
0: I guess the drug cartel guys like it the might live have been. music as well.
1: I would not be surprised if it was some kind of drug-related thing. And I mean, oh, it's yeah. unfortunate, but mm. hey. for a musician (laughs) for somebody who's trying to make a living that's it's not a bad thing for them
0: so which which are the ones that have the sousaphones and the tubas and that is is that just cumbia or
1: no cumbia like the one that originated in Colombia is bass guitar two trumpets two trombones no woodwinds a keyboard and like two percussionists generally like someone playing like the timbales Tambales and like cowbell and stuff and another guy would be like usually like congas and bongos or something like that, like hand percussion Mm -hmm. and then stick percussion Um, and then singers. The one with the sousaphones is specifically Mexican and no other Spanish speaking country has sousaphones. The only reason the Mexicans play that is because of the German and Czech immigrants from like the late 1800s, early 1900s. They flooded northern Mexico during like some kind of departure from Europe and they brought their music with them, the polka. And oh. that's, that's the only reason why Mexicans have that.
0: I heard actually about it in Texas. Guys yeah. are saying that there was a big epidemic of stolen tubas and sousaphones oh, yeah. from music departments and high yep. schools. These yep. guys are just breaking and taking them. That happens all over the place.
1: A few years ago that happened here in LA. There was um in Linwood, which is kind of a, eh, not a good area. I'd say kind of bridges the gap between, like, South Central and East LA. It's kind of, like, mm-hmm. halfway between both. It has, like, culture similar to both, but they had a lot of their, like, a couple middle schools and high schools just had, like, all their sousaphones stolen. It was specifically sousaphones they were going for.
0: How much do those go for?
1: It depends. I, I think, like, the cheapest one, like, if you get, like, a garbage POS, it's still, like, 2000 Wow. for, like, just a crap, like a piece of shit with, like, fiberglass bell and all that. If you get a good one, like the ones that I sold at Sam Ash that were really popular that everybody wanted was the brand King. Mm-hmm. And those I went for like, I think they went for like 8500 Wow. <laughs> yeah. I have and no idea. Sous- sousaphone, the only time it's ever a serious instrument is for that type of music. No American would ever fucking buy a sousaphone for that much because they're only used for a marching band. Like nobody except considers it like a, a serious or- instrument. Except Oh, new yeah, Orleans. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, New That's Orleans. That's the one exception. That's true, yeah but like but even then it's still not considered like a concert instrument like you wouldn't you wouldn't dress up while playing it and you wouldn't play it indoors true <laughs>
0: true yeah yeah it's, it's more only met, part of the folk yeah. element there
1: exactly it's very yes folk it's regional
0: so with the cover band yes what's the goal with that or the idea behind that well the that goal of the,
1: the original goal is to be a wedding band or like a wedding corporate band And that came from the musical I was playing The guitar player there He's a really cool guy named Dave I've been playing the musicals with him for a few years And this was the first time With that particular group that I played bass On a musical Normally I played trumpet in the past But this one called for an electric bass and an upright bass Because they always have a guy that plays upright And none of them really call for electric But this was a more modern musical sort of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat So I was playing And every time we'd be warming up I would always play like Pop hits, I guess you could say, like older pop hits. Like I play like a Michael Jackson something or Stevie Wonder something, and then he'd always like look over at me and like start like kind of smiling and shaking his head or like nodding his head, and he'd start playing along with me and stuff. And then one day he was just like, "We need to get like a wedding band going, man." And I was like, "Are you down? Are you serious right now?" And he said, "Yeah." He's like, "I'm free," and I know I know a lot of good cats. And I said, "So do I." So let's start something. So that's where that's what happened. He already got people to commit. And we just need to have a rehearsal. We need to get a couple people on vacation. We're going to start up next week. We're going to have one rehearsal where we just kind of groove. We vibe with each other and try to get a couple of songs down and solid. Then the second rehearsal he's going to bring his gear. We're going to record some videos and use that for marketing purposes. Sweet. Yeah, man.
0: You should play some bar mitzvahs.
1: Hey, I'm always down. Bar mitzvahs, brisses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. So, if you knew then what you know now, what would you do differently for your education? What'd you differently?
1: Mm -hmm. You know what? I I probably would have gone to a completely different school. I might have gone to like shitty as it sounds, probably somewhere like MI. Mm -hmm. I probably would have. Well, see, that's a thing because trumpet was my main instrument from seventh Mm -hmm. grade onward. I was more educated in it. I was better at it technically, obviously, than any other instrument I played, like bass or anything, but I don't think I really could have gotten into any other school on any other instrument. Yeah, this would have to be like, I'd have to do like a redo all the way from like ninth grade, probably. I would have had to concentrate 100% on bass or something else, but it's hard to say.
0: What do you think about all the, like, the recording schools and the mixing schools? Because I see a lot of these things popping up that. But... It's a little different. I mean, they can teach this technology, but sometimes those guys don't really know a thing about music.
1: Correct. I've done extensive research on it because about, I want to say a little under a year ago, I was strongly considering going to school for audio engineering. Yeah. And I started reading up on a lot of different forums and just doing my research, and it seems to be that there's a consensus that, I don't want to say they're a waste of time, but they're good for only networking. Hmm. For a proper education, I've heard that it's not the best. So, like, even schools, huh. It's not just that. I mean, they, they they do teach you. They give you a pretty good education, but I heard it's basically not worth the money. Like, recording schools are usually a lot more expensive than any kind of music program at, like, a UC or a Cal State school or any kind of state.
0: More expensive?
1: Oh, absolutely. Anything that's recording? decent? Yeah. They're really? very expensive because they're all private. Ah, they're all so, private, and I, I remember looking at the tuition, and it was, it was pretty hefty, and you do get a good education, but what I've heard is that there's, they don't really teach you anything that you can't really teach yourself from just hours of watching YouTube videos, is what I was told. I said, the, right. o- the only thing that it's good for is connections. Wow. If you're a teacher, if you get close to your professor, if you're a standout student, they might throw you a bone every once in a while with, like, coming to a session, Of course, that usually entails kind of like janitorial work. Mm -hmm. They say you're pretty much like the coffee guy. But at least you're kind of a fly on the wall. You can kind of name drop in the future and you can kind of meet people that way. But yeah, you're not going to be doing any kind of real work in a studio if they start getting you small gigs here and there. But it's still better connections than if you hadn't gone to school. So some people say it's worth it. It's been like 50-50 from what I've read is people are like, you know what? Yeah, I met some great people that ended up building my career. And other people were like, no, I mean, honestly, like you can watch hours of like some of the good teachers on YouTube, some good articles and get the same exact education. You just won't have the connections. Yeah,
0: that's pretty crazy. I mean, Mm -hmm. school is so expensive to think that it would be worse than that. Did I tell you how I got started with DAWs? It was at Queens mm. College when I was there.
1: You, I remember you telling me you took a Pro Tools course, but I don't remember what it was for or if it was an elective or you actually needed it for your degree. I don't remember. You it mind. was an elective.
0: I didn't need it at all. In fact, I just needed to fill some extra credits. It ended up being one of the best things I ever did. I know. Uh, this guy, I P- love it. Pete Calandra, he composed the Fox Sports theme song and things for Sundance Film Festival, Oprah Network, Dude. History Channel, documentaries. He's done a lot. And so he just started teaching. Yeah, all sorts of random stuff. He's all Mm -hmm. over the place. His class was so good. I ended up taking another semester of it. And it got so popular that there was a wait list for the class. People would show up and he had to turn away people and create even more credits. And it was just an elective thing. But a lot of uh, my classmates who graduated ended up getting jobs because they had that skill. And it was mostly an elective ended up paying off big time
1: no exactly i would say overall i would say the experience is probably worth it taking classes like that but well in your case since you only took what one class two classes
0: two classes Mm -hmm. yeah
1: if you're doing that absolutely worth it and it's already part of your education yes but if you're going to school just for that the experience and networking is worth it but the education itself is probably a little overhyped overpriced
0: I mean, I could say the same about college as well.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, of course. No, no, no. The best class I ever took in college, I I audited the class. I didn't get get any credit for it. Which one was that? That was a jazz arranging one. The only reason I had to audit it it was because my last semester, maybe last two semesters, I was part-time, so Mm. that's under 12 (laughs) units, and if I had taken that class, I would have been full-time. Ah, so I was like, shit, Like I really want to take this course. I've heard good things about it, and it's just interesting to me. So I just I asked Jeff Jarvis. It was really funny. I actually asked him in the middle of a gig. I played in a group with him for a little bit in Orange County, and I remember mm-hmm. saying, hey, I really want to take your class, but I uh, I can't fit it into my schedule because of units. Like It would make me full-time again, and I can't do that. I don't remember if it was because of the money or something else or maybe a combination of both, but... He told me, he was like, no, man, just show up on the first day. This is what it is. He goes, I don't care if you take my class. He goes, just, you can audit it. And I was like, all right. So I did.
0: Oh, yeah. So another thing. Another thing. How familiar are you with Patreon? Somewhat. Do you know anyone who's actually done it? personally
1: not personally no i know my favorite comedian uses it
0: well i know a lot of a lot of independent media people use it mm. i kind of have a crazy idea oh to create one for myself
1: it's not that crazy
0: well the idea came because working at different churches i've had people for years come up and just tell me they really like my stuff and give me money when I left this job, I just played my last Sunday. A lady gave me $500. And they're still collecting They're still collecting money. Like, Jesus. you know, I'm going to get a bonus because people just... People would come up to me, give me $10, $20, $25. They really like my music. They like what I do, so they want to support it. Shit, man. And I'm thinking, this is what I really want to do. I want to create more music. I want to write more stuff. But I don't have the time for it. If I created a Patreon account and kind of seriously dedicated myself to creating more content.
1: More power to you, dude.
0: I don't know. It's kind of uh, it's a nerve-wracking idea, but at the same time, I think I want to try it.
1: Dude, go for it, brother.
0: My idea would be, like, for the first three people or something to hit, like, I don't know, $10 a month, $20 a month level, mm-hmm. I would tell them that I would create a cover song for them, like a song of their choice you can choose. Bro.
1: Bro. Cover.
0: yeah try to create incentives for people shout outs
1: hey my name is josh Vigran. i'm the josh Vigren.
0: but yeah man patreon i'm seriously thinking about doing it
1: do it dude